Hey guys, Nicole Spinoso with The Short Sale Queen, and I am so excited to bring on uh, Michael Zuber today. And if you don't know, he is behind One Rental at a Time, and I really want to dive in his story today. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Nicole, thank you very much for the opportunity. I look forward to uh, seeing where this conversation goes. So one thing that I love about you, and I'm just going to put this right out there, is just how just real and transparent you are. Like, it's very clear that you're like, hey, this is what you see is what you get through your videos as well as in person. And, and I love that. And I think a lot of the people, even in my channel and my audience will completely resonate with that because you do so much just with your story. And so I really want to dive into that today. So why don't you start out with like where one rental at a time came from? Yeah, so one rental at a time came from really a, a dark place, frankly. Uh, so let, let's kind of set up the the basis of it. So you know, I, I started investing in real estate at, at thirty, after losing eighty percent of the money in the stock market. I lost one hundred and eighty thousand dollars, roughly speaking. You know, I took seven grand, made it two hundred, and then lost you know a lot of it. So. I had to find a different way. I wasn't Warren Buffett, right? I thought I was for a minute, and then I and then I wasn't in the dot com crash. Uh, then I find Rich Dad Poor Dad. That starts a journey of 15 years in the making. But the, where's the dark moment? The dark moment is 45 years old. I'm sitting at my kitchen table. My wife has been retired for three or four years. I'm now unemployable, right? I've left my last job. It's probably been two or three weeks at this point. And I'm depressed for the first time in my life, Nicole. Wow. And I'm a type, I'm a type A individual. I've had a quota, a sales commission for, you know, since I was a teenager. I've yeah. always been on commission and I, uh, I didn't know how to act. I didn't know what was going on. It was sitting at my kitchen table. I remember thinking about our journey, how we got here. Because I, dude, Nicole, I was about a weekend away from getting a job, not because I needed the money, but because I didn't want to be depressed. My ego was wrapped up in my career and being you know, very purpose. good at what I do. Yeah. Yeah. So it was crazy. That's just, it was really, really unfortunate to get there. But thankfully, I remember reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, which again started my journey. Rich Dad Poor Dad didn't tell you how. Right. Right. Give you the it inspiration. Talked, yeah. It, but it didn't tell the story. So well, sitting there at the kitchen table, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back and I'm going to initially just write a, a free article. And then the article became uh, you know, a free book. And then people were reading it and, or getting it and not reading it. So I decided to self-publish on Amazon, hence the book cover behind me. Yeah. And that book is not a how-to book. My book, One Rinse a Lot of Times, not a how-to book. It's okay. I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. What happened? Oh, yeah. by the way, I bought before the crash. I bought during the crash. We 1031, you know, all of these things, private money, uh, all of that. So really One Rinse a Lot of Times, the book was like, let's appreciate where you've been. Let's document the history. So I sketched it out, wrote it, and I started to feel inspired again. I'm like, huh, maybe there's something here. Because the book actually in raw form came out rather quickly, right? Mm -hmm. Probably 60 days, the draft was done. It probably took six months to edit and you know, all of that stuff because I'm a horrible yeah. writer. But one read till I a time book pulled me out of depression. It gave me something to do. And that led to YouTube and, and other talks. And you know, you and I were at an event in Fresno, California, where we each got 20 minutes just to let it rip. And that's who I am, right? I don't do these things for the money. I'm lucky to already have what I have. Yeah. And uh, that just means I don't need to sell anything. Uh, I used to tell my sales guys, even clients, 
you know, you don't want to ask me my opinion because I'm going to give it to you and you may not like it. So disclaimer. Yeah. yeah. You really want to know what I think of you? You probably don't want to ask that question. So yeah, uh, I always yeah. say, don't ask me a question. You don't want to know the answer to, cause I'm, I'm going to tell you. So I'm, I'm right there yeah. with you, but I love that because, you know, first of all, it really speaks to your resilience because a lot, like most people can't bounce back from a huge loss. And I think everyone can resonate with that because a lot of times people, you know, first of all, getting over the fear of failure, right? Mm -hmm. Putting yourself out there and then failing and then trying to bounce back and pivot and saying, okay, now what? Right. And so for you, you're like, Hey, this is where I was. And now I turned this pain into like my purpose and, you know, on how you've been able to build what you've built, which is incredible. So now you have your YouTube and you've blown up on that and you're speaking and all that great stuff. So tell me if you were to start all over, and I'm sure you've been asked this before, but if you were to start all over, how would you have gotten here quicker? Like, how would you have fast tracked to say, okay, this is how I would have started my journey to wealth, creating wealth? Yeah. So I think there's, there's kind of two answers. One is, I think most people, Nicole, that goal's too big. What I typically set for folks is, let's just get to four. Now, four won't make you financially free, but it right. will change your family's financial future. I do believe everybody can get to four, right? I think this notion of bigger is better and you have to have a hundred or some stupid number <laughs> sets people up for failure. So yeah. that's where I always start. You know what? Let's just get to four. You're going to still have to have a job, but you know what? In 20 years, when these are paid off and inflation does what it does, you yeah. can sell them, refi. Your life is better than 99% if you just have four. So that's where I typically go. But if I was going to kind of do this faster and get to financial freedom, I actually think getting wealthy is only a 10-year process. And it okay. took me 15. So again, that's you know 33% faster. So simply said, step one is creating dry powder. It's called disposable income. Now, you can do one of two things or combine them. One, you can make more money. You have a commission-based job, sell more stuff. You get a second job, side hustles, whatever it is, right? Step one is you can sell more hours or make those hours that you're selling more productive with commission. Or B, you can cut expenses. Now, again, as I've documented in our book, I already had a commission-based job. I was already doing all I can. I didn't have more hours. Side hustles were not a thing. YouTube was not a thing, right? Because I'm that old uh, when I'm starting. <laughs> so Olivia and I had to cut expenses, right? We did a needs versus wants analysis you know, 23 years ago. And we went from spending 100% of our take-home pay to spending 50% over about a 12 to 15-month period. Some of it was easy and it got increasingly hard. But what that allowed us to do is create more and more stacks every month that we continue to deploy. So what the first thing I would do is I would also increase income. So I would do a side hustle, I do YouTube or something you know, for a passion. That's step one. Step two is where I shine is you need to become elite at something. I believe too many investors are distracted, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to do rentals. I'm going to do stocks. I'm going to do NFTs. I'm going to do classic cars. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And you never become elite at anything. Right. I, I have this notion called a buy box. And I'll tell you what my buy box was back in 2001. And it was the same thing, Nicole, for three and a half years. It starts with a zip code, right? 93703. It's a a zip code in Fresno, California. It's called the Mayfair District if you're local. But that was even too big. I wanted three or four bedrooms. So no apartments, no condos, no duplexes, just a house. I wanted uh, two baths, two-car garage, single story. 
between 1,250 and 1,750 square feet. So that was my search criteria for three and a half years. So let's unpack that really quick, really, really quick before you go, because you said a lot of great things. So one, what I'm hearing is really to create wealth and to do what you did, you were able to cut back expenses, which takes extreme discipline, because I think that right there is the best advice you can give, especially to entrepreneurs, because I think we fall into this trap of making more money, but it really doesn't matter how much you make. It matters how much you keep. I mean, and that to me, I mean, I could do, you know, hours and talk about that because I'm a salesperson entrepreneur. So I was just like, I'm going to make more, I'm going to make more. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I made hundred thousand dollars this month. Where the hell did it go? Right. Because we automatically, we make more, we spend more. So I think that's huge. And the second thing that I want to unpack is what you said about uh, going all in on that one thing. And I talk about that in specializing, you know, there's riches in the niches and just hyper-focusing on one thing. And so it's really easy for, and for people that are watching investors and realtors, for you guys to see all of these shiny objects and say, oh, I see, I see Michael's really successful with this. I want to do what he's doing. Oh, Nicole's really passionate about this. I want to know you can't be good or great at one thing and really scale it out if you're not focused on that one thing. And me and Michael are a huge testament that when we hyper-focused, we were able to grow and be successful because we didn't allow all of these distractions. So before you continue, I just wanted to point that out for people that missed that because that is huge. And that is what most people fail at this business because they, they're like squirrel and they go down these rabbit holes and they never really create momentum in their business because of that. So no question. I mean, that's all well said. And just the third and final variable is time. It's a 10 year journey. Yeah. Right. The first two or three years are slow. You need to compound. You need the income snowball. You need, you know, equity to build, but it will happen. The problem is, like you say, people don't start. They, they inflate their lifestyle. But I've, you know, the saddest thing, Nicole, to me is somebody that gets behind this energy. They sacrifice, they do this, they do that. But at year four or year five, they start saying dumb things like, I deserve this. Yeah. I deserve a new car. I deserve a second home. I deserve whatever. You're so close. Why are you going backwards? Right. Right. Why are you buying the new whip? It's hard, Michael. It's hard because I struggle with the, you only live once and that, and, and I want to create wealth. So every decision I make, I'm like, okay, is this getting me towards my goal? My long-term goal, like you're talking about. And then the other is like, I work really freaking hard. I want to go on this trip. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my world is, I think, wealth. And again, wealth you need to define, right? Because it's not a number or, it, or at least it's a different right. number for everyone. But if you're going to sign up for my three steps, it's a 10-year journey. Yeah. But the beauty is after 10 years, you can do all that other stuff. I already have my dream. I have my dream car now. I, I, I bought season tickets to my favorite sports teams. I travel whenever I want. I'm actually traveling for three weeks again after doing a four-week travel and after staying at the penthouse here and there. We do, you know, we do what we want now. Yeah. But it was because we had that commitment. I, I feel so bad. And I know lots of people that they do the first four or five years. They see that trickle turn into a little stream. And yeah. then they go, I deserve. And I'm like, you're so close. Stop. What are you doing? Stop. <laughs> Don't do that. Not yet. No, I... I... I totally get that. And I can honestly just admit that that has been my biggest struggle my entire journey. And I had to learn very early on, like what, to what you're saying, when I started making real money, I went broke quicker than when I was broke. 
because of what you just said. So I'm a testament to that. And then failing flat on my face. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give myself grace and I'm never going to make this mistake again. I remember it was 2018. I hit my first six figure month and I was like, okay, like, yes, I, I did this. And I went on like two or three trips and I could not make payroll that month. And I remember that feeling because I had screenshotted my, my account balance at that time. It was like negative. And I was like, oh my God, what the hell happened? Right. And, and a lot of it had to do with, of course, the discipline of like, if you're not from money or if you, it's that mindset of, do I, I don't deserve wealth. Right. So I put myself right back into the back against the wall, you know, and really limited mindset. And it was a really hard pill to swallow that I had to crawl my way out of. And like you said, it's like, you can see it from the outside looking in, like, guys, what are you doing? <laughs> like you, you're so close, you know? And, and I, and I totally resonate with that because it was so hard and so humbling to get to that point And then to go right back to where I was, like you said, three or four steps back and then to crawl my way out of that again. And of course I haven't made that mistake since, but it's a conscious and intentional thing that I have to do. And the way that I structure even money coming in and the way I see it, because you don't treat it the same way when you see big balances as you would, you know, disciplining yourself, like you're saying. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm lucky enough to to work in a, a career the last 10 or 15 years where I routinely saw people make seven figures. Yeah. A year, right? I sold enterprise softwares, you know, average price over a million bucks, you know, so I was around uh, people making some good income. And I have some very sad stats for you, Nicole. Mm-hmm. So when you're running teams or you're part of organizations where there's two, 300 sales reps, it's not uncommon to have a dozen make a million bucks or more. But of those reps that I saw over the last decade who made a million bucks, 90% of them were bankrupt within three years. I believe it. Yeah, because they let their lifestyle creep. They got the third or fourth car. They got this, you know, they divorced and got, you know, they married something else. They picked up a bad habit. They got yeah. a home. They did this. And in my in my world, it's very hard to repeat a seven-figure year because your quota goes up, your accounts go down, all of right. that stuff. Right. So if you let your lifestyle inflate to your record year, yep. bankruptcy is all but certain. And it's just sad. It happens all the time. It is sad. I had a football player stay at one of my Airbnbs. And he was really young and he came on a lot of money, destroyed my Airbnb, like absolutely destroyed it. I had to end up billing him like $5,500 for all the damages. And when I found out who it was, he was 22 years old. I go into the Airbnb and I see Versace, Gucci. I see like literally he left all the boxes. He was only there for two weeks. I mean, he must have spent in the two weeks, threw away my mattress to replace brand new mattresses, like insanity. And when I saw that, I was so sad for him because he had just come into like this, like 20 or $30 million contract and he didn't care. Right. He was just like, they, they paid it right away, which, you know, I was grateful for, um, still paid in the butt. But then understanding that when you get into a lot of money, like you're saying, and you don't understand how to structure it, how to discipline yourself, even when you do it on a little scale, if you can't do that now where you're at with your job, when you make more money, it's not going to solve your problems. And I think as in entrepreneurship, we do not focus enough on financial literacy. And it's not because you're not skilled. It's not because you don't have what it takes. It's because you're not making the right financial decisions, which is crippling your business. And like you said, 
growth does not equal success. It does not equal income. It can actually be what kills your business because you weren't ready for it. So I love that because it's super practical and everyone can learn like, Hey guys, like this is what you need to do going into this. And this is the mindset you have to have of like, it may be a sacrifice right now, but if you can discipline yourself 10 years, now you can get your dream car. Now you can travel the way that you want to, but you know, we're in a a society where we want things right now. Yeah. (laughs) So again, I think, I do think, well, again, what I'm trying to get out there is this is all possible. It's right there for you. But if you're going to follow what we talk about, Nicole, you know, sign a 10 year contract with yourself. I love it. I'm going to do that. I'm going to write up my own contract for the next 10 years. (laughs) I like it. Let's do it. I love it. All right. So a couple more things I want to dive into. So when you were, you had decided, okay, I lost my money. I'm into investing. What are some key things that you did? Because you read Rich dad, poor dad. And now you were defined what your buy box was. What was your intention? Like, what did you have to do to get there? Because the houses aren't just going to appear, right? Yeah. It's not like you put it out there and they're like, okay, here you go. Here's your buy box. Yeah. What did you so do? Rich dad, so rich dad, poor dad, uh, again, it's not a how-to book, right? right? I've read that book 50 times, maybe a hundred times. There's wow. no how-to in it. So the first thing I did is I got more books and I don't know what your book said. Again, I'm old, much older than you, uh, but all the books told me to invest in my backyard. So I tried that for a year. I live in the Silicon Valley. And let's just say that was a waste of time. The Silicon Valley is never cash flow. It's one of those appreciation markets, which I wasn't going to bet on, right? I'd already lost everything. I wasn't going to do that. Uh, So ultimately, my wife, who is far smarter than I am, Olivia gets 100% credit for for this idea. She said enough's enough, right? Because Nicole, I asked her to get in the car with me for 52 Sundays uh, over a year to drive looking for the magic cash flow street in the Bay right. Area. It doesn't exist. So she goes, enough's enough. Full right. credit to her. She pulls out a California map and says, we're going to try something else or you know, I'm not doing this anymore. So ultimately, we draw circles. We're around 30 minutes, 60 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours, two and a half hours. And we uncover Fresno, California, two and a half hours away. I don't know anyone. I was there once as a 13-year-old driving to Yosemite. Right. Um, there's nothing really over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know it, right? I've always thought Fresno or Bakersfield was the armpit of California, but I didn't know. But you know what? There was cash flow there. So we take the same discipline to that market. And ultimately, we find Norris Drive, uh, which we picked up for 107 grand. It rented for 1100. And I still had a little bit of cash left over from the stock market collapse. And I I didn't know any different. I put 20% down, got a 30-year mortgage, and bingo, bango, we, we had a unit. And I felt like a winner. Yeah. And then if you've read my book, you know that that story does not end well. That first tenant almost crushed us. They yeah. never paid rent. They destroyed the unit. But yeah, it's, it was it was a journey. And, and we, we had to go find the market. And then, you know, we found Norris Drive. So really, your advice and what you did was instead of focusing on the familiar, you focused on the numbers because numbers don't lie. Yep. At the end of the day, what market can you tap into that's going to cash flow? Because especially, I mean, I can't even imagine it. I, I talked to so many investors in California who really don't invest in California. <laughs> they're especially wholesalers. They're always in other markets. And that's great advice because you're right. Every book that I've read have said, hey, go into your backyard, You know, stay in your own neighborhood, be the neighborhood expert. But the reality is you could live in a neighborhood where it doesn't financially make sense and it's not an emotional attachment. It's all about the numbers, you know, when you're diving into that. 
Yeah, I just want to echo one thing on this because again, I think a lot of California investors spend like seven seconds looking at their market and then decide it's too expensive. Again, yeah. we spent 52 Sundays, so we were committed, right? Then again, full credit to Olivia because I have a, a phobia of flying. That's why I chose a market I could drive to because I hate flying. So out of state wasn't an option, right? We had to find something close by. There's right. a lot of California investors that if they just went an hour and a half, two hours away, they could find a market that cash flows. They're just lazy. I want to say this. I think there's a lot of California investors or New York investors or Texas, Austin specifically that invest out of state because it's cheap. Let me just tell you this. Investing somewhere because it's cheap is a recipe to go broke. 100%. You know know how many California investors have told me specifically Barry investors, Michael, did you know I could buy a house for less than the cost? Of my Tesla, I'm like, why is that a good idea? When did when did a house cheaper than a Tesla become the measure of a good deal? I think that's right. wild that people think. I mean, I've done that too, right? So I'm like, <laughs> I, I mean, literally, I feel like everything Michael says, I'm like, um, yeah, done that, <laughs> done that. I mean, one thing about me is that I'm not afraid to take risks. So I think one good thing about that is that you learn so much, and just having the ability to be like, well, it didn't work. Now I'm a lot smarter, and I would rather learn from other people's failures than my own. But being in my 20s and just putting myself out there, I didn't have that luxury, right? And at the time, like you said, there was no really YouTube. There was, and the people that were on YouTube, it wasn't good. You know, it wasn't something you'd actually want to watch. And so a lot of it was just like, okay, you know, I, I bought a house. Um, it was a fourplex for a hundred thousand dollars and well, actually no, it was $50,000. And then I was going to put 60 into the property and it was a fourplex. And I'm like, this is a no brainer. It has to make sense. This makes sense. There's no risk. Oh my gosh. I'm going to make $3,800 a month that this is going to cash flow, And I'm all in at a hundred thousand. Oh man. I, I have like nailed this one. I'll take two. I'll take two. Oh my gosh. (laughs) This was literally, I mean, it makes me nauseous even talking about it. One day when I'm not emotional about it, I'll do a case study on it, (laughs) but it still hurts because I lost. I mean, I ended up selling, I spent 120 and I ended up selling it for 70 just to get out of it. Like just insanity. But you're going to go broke buying cheap. 100%. You get what you pay for right? So that's a perfect testament to that. So I I love that. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on here. What is the, um, I'm going to assume the best way to reach out to you is through YouTube. Yeah. YouTube. Everything I do is one rental at a time, books, website, YouTube. Yeah. You can, I should be easy to find. Reach out to to Michael. He's phenomenal. His book is fantastic. I'll put all everything in the show notes and thank you again for joining us and we'll see you guys next time.